Welcome to the Portland City Church Podcast. We are a brand new church in the city of Portland, Oregon. Here you'll find all of our weekly messages, so make sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications to stay updated. The study you are about to listen to is from our series on 1 Corinthians called Lost Church. If you're encouraged by this message, we would love to hear about it. Feel free to reach out to us on social media or through our website, portlandcitychurch.org. We are a growing community of believers, so if you live near Portland, we would love to visit us in person at our Sunday morning gathering. Hope to see you there. God bless. Open this door to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, If you need a Bible, we do have extras. 1 Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. All right. Something that's kind of cool that we're going to be doing. Um, so next week, I think I talked to a couple of you guys about next week, we're going to be doing a blanket drive. Um, it's something Amber had kind of helped put together. And so uh, we're going to be doing a blanket drive, a blanket and a jacket drive. We're still kind of figuring out the details of it. But uh, so we'll probably start receiving stuff for that next week. We'll do, I'll send you guys out a little graph. We're going to put together a little graphic, do a little post for it um, on social media and stuff. So it'll be cool to see uh, what God does through that. But uh, as we get into the word, man, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get started. So 1 Corinthians 12, the title of my message is Ignorance is Not Bliss. Um, you know, there's that old, I don't want to call it an old saying because I don't really know how old it is, <laughs> but it's that saying that ignorance is bliss, right? That in some situations it's better to know less. It's, it's more peaceful to know less. And Paul gets into this chapter and he starts by saying what? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts and of their impact, of their purpose, of what, how God wants to use them both in our lives and through our lives. And when you look at chapter 12, he's continuing to build on some issues that he was addressing in the Corinthian church. And those issues were issues of disorder. One of the things that we talked about last week is how disorder, what it does in the church is disorder. It affects the spiritual temperature of the church, right? The church is to be a place where people can come and they can encounter God, where they can meet God, where they can worship God, like the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. And to be able to worship in spirit and in truth. I think many times what can happen is, is we can quench the Holy Spirit and the work of His Spirit in the church. And how does that happen? In, in chapter 11, like what we talked about last week, some of the things that happen are divisions. And when the church is divided, what does it lead to? It leads to what? It leads to disorder. It affects the spiritual temperature of the church. We talked about how sometimes you can have cliques, right? And in the church of Corinth, what was happening is, is they would come together and you would have some of the people that would come to those feasts or those gatherings. They were maybe more rich and then you had the poor and they would come together and they would kind of split off and break off. And we talked about how in the early church, Man, the Bible was so revolutionary at that time because it eliminated all of the things that divide people. It really brought people together. The Bible says that in Christ, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, right? There's no male, there's no female, there's no slave, there's no free, but we're all one in Christ. There's that unity in the body of Christ. 
And what you see happening is you see that those things were beginning to creep into the Corinthian church. There was irreverence going on in the services, and all those things were affecting it. And the church was no longer a place where people could come and could be able to encounter God and be able to hear from the Lord and be able to worship. There was all of this disorder, and it was affecting the, spirit, the spiritual temperature of the church. And one of the things that you see happen is, as you see in chapter 12, you see that this, the Corinthian church, and Paul wrote to them early on, and he said what? He said, man, he said, you guys are lacking in no spiritual gifts. You have all the spiritual gifts of the world. <laughs> He said, you guys lack nothing in that area, he said. But the problem wasn't that. The problem was spiritually they were immature. So there was abuses going on of the gifts. And so he starts out by talking here in, in chapter 12, verse 1, and he kind of starts to hit on this issue of spiritual gifts. And notice what he says. He says in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts... He says, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. When it comes to spiritual gifts, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to not have any understanding of how they work. And like what we talked about, how, how God wants to use them in our lives and through our lives. And when it comes to spiritual things, I think it's important to remember, we're not going to understand everything. You know, there's a thought that I've always um, kind of appreciated, and it's that thought that if you can understand the God that you serve, is he really worth serving? You know, when it comes to spiritual things, we're not going to understand everything. And there's this saying in Christianity that the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't know. And the longer in the Lord, it's like the more you realize you don't know. And sometimes we start to think, right, we're like, I got this figured out, Lord. Like, <laughs> I know how you work in my life, and I got it down to a T. And then God will sometimes do things that just shake your life up. You know, when you look at the miracles of the Bible, you find an interesting pattern. And the pattern is, is that there is no pattern. We sometimes try and put God into a box. We say God works this way and he works that way. But yet many times God will often do things in ways that we can't understand. The Bible says what? His ways are what? They're higher than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. And I, I, one of my favorite verses is in the Proverbs where it says that if a man's steps are of the Lord, how can a man understand his way? You know, sometimes we look at our lives and we're like, God, but this doesn't make sense. Like, why do you have me here? Or why are you doing this? Or why did this happen? And we look at it and we're like, God, it doesn't make sense. Well, hey, sometimes it's not supposed to. But when we look back, what do we see? We see that everything happened for a reason and we see God's just perfection in working all things together in our lives. So we're not going to understand everything when it comes to spiritual things. But when it comes to spiritual gifts and when it comes to most spiritual things, listen, we don't understand everything, but God doesn't leave us in the dark either. One of the, the things that has always driven me to seek God more is looking at the examples of the disciples, right? Sometimes we kind of uh, clown about the disciples a little bit because they're always asking the most goofiest questions, right? And they're always coming to assumptions. But when you look, every time they ask Jesus a question, what did it do? Man, Jesus took the time and he answered him the questions. And some of those questions are some of the most amazing revelations of truth that we have in Scripture. Some of the most amazing truths of the Bible came from a disciple asking a simple question. Why? Because God loves fellowship with his people. 
Man, God loves to speak to us. He loves to reveal truth. And you see, God doesn't want to leave us in the dark. He desires that we wouldn't be ignorant or without knowledge when it comes to the things of God. I think of Hosea 4, verse 6. It says what? It says that my people, and this is God talking to the children of Israel, He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And not knowing or understanding the things of God it can mess you up. Why? Because it causes you to have wrong concepts of God. You have a wrong belief of God. You have a wrong understanding of how He works. And many times what happens is, is when we're not spending time in the Word, or it's easy to kind of jump to conclusions, and maybe you've met people or I've met people that are trying to bring God and relate to God on their terms. And it's like, well, I have my relationship with God and he understands me and I know how he works and that's good. And, you know, I I get what you're saying with the truth of the Bible and salvation and born again and all that stuff. But, you know, I mean, I have my own relationship with God and it works. But the truth is, is what? It's like Hosea 4, 6 says, man, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And many times people can have wrong understandings of God and wrong understanding of how he is and how he wants to relate to us and it messes people up. But the knowledge he's talking about, it's not knowledge that we learn in a class. It's not knowledge that you learn by going to school. It's knowledge that's learned by experiencing and through a relationship with God. John 14, 26, it's what Jesus spoke to his disciples before he left this earth. And he said this, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I said. Man, much of what God does and what He teaches us, it comes from here. It comes from spending time with Him. Man, it comes from letting Him speak to us. It comes from looking at the Scriptures. Man, so many people look at this book and they assume it's a boring book, but the truth is, is this word is life, Jesus said. And when your heart's open, God is able to speak to you through this book. He is able to speak to you. I think one of the things that happens is when we become ignorant of spiritual gifts and like what he says, he's telling the Corinthians, he's saying, look, he's saying you guys are having some problems with the operation of the gifts. You're having some misunderstandings. There's some things going on that are kind of crazy. And what does he say? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He says, I don't want you to be without knowledge when it comes to what spiritual gifts. And I think that when we're ignorant of spiritual gifts, it causes us to miss out on the amazing blessing that spiritual gifts bring. Man, the spiritual gifts that God's given us, they are phenomenal. And when used in order, when used how God designed them to be used, and they can be a tremendous benefit to your spiritual life. Man, the gifts that God has given, there's 20 different gifts, and all of them can be a tremendous blessing to your life. And I think sometimes we can look at gifts, the spiritual gifts, and we're like, well, that's cool for those people, or well, you know, I don't really, you know, I mean, you know, I kind of have my own little thing, and I'm good with the Lord. But really, to not know your spiritual gifts, you're missing out on a huge part of what God wants to do in your life and through your life. Not only that, but it can lead to the abuse of the gifts. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I remember my grandma telling a story. She said she went to a church when she was young, 
And she said that the church was trying to teach them how to, how to speak in tongues. And they said that you had to start by going, ba, 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 ba. And you had to keep speaking it and the more, and then eventually you would be able to speak tongues. That's what they were trying to teach her. And she ended up leaving that church. <laughs> and I don't blame her. But that can happen sometimes. Why? Because there's different understandings. People sometimes, what? They're ignorant of spiritual gifts. And it leads to abuses of the gifts. Man, what is an abuse of spiritual gifts? Listen, it's when spiritual gifts are operated in such a way that they excite, but they don't edify. And there's so many churches you go to today, and it's very exciting. And there's a lot of craziness. And there's a lot of spiritual gifts. There's spiritual gifts everywhere. But what happens? You leave and you're excited, but are your, is your spiritual life built up? And that's the difference. You know, the, the gifts that God has given, they're for the edification of the body, the Bible says. They're so that you and me can be built up. So that way when, the, the, when a Bible study is given, when the teaching of the Word of God is, it builds you up. And when a word of prophecy is given, what happens? Your spirit is edified. Man, there's encouragement that's given. When a word of wisdom, when a word of knowledge takes place, man, it can hit home. Why? Because the spiritual gifts that God has given, they are for the edification of the body. They're for the building up of you and me. Man, those are spiritual gifts. They're amazing, and yet so often they are put on the back burner. It's interesting, one of the things that you notice about New Testament Christianity is you notice the exercise of the gifts in order. They exercise the gifts regularly. Throughout the book of Acts, you see the gifts being operated almost in every chapter. They were exercised orderly in a way that was right, it was correct, it was proper. And I think often we want New Testament Christianity, and I, I know I want New Testament Christianity, I think many times we can get ourselves messed up because we can look at the church today and we can look at Christianity today and, and the truth is, is, well, we're never going to find a perfect place. We're never going to find a perfect Christianity. And the church falls short in every single age. And we look at the Bible and what do we want? We want biblical Christianity. We want New Testament Christianity. But you can't have New Testament Christianity without New Testament uh, operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And that's why Paul's writing here. He's saying, listen, don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Don't put them on the back burner. Don't, uh, don't ignore them. Don't pretend they don't exist. Why? Because they are a tremendous benefit and blessing to your life. And then notice what he says in verse 2. He says, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Paul, so politically correct, right? Here he's telling them, he's saying what? He's saying, you guys were led after all these dumb idols before you came to know the Lord. And it's interesting that he calls these idols dumb. He calls these idols dumb. And why are they dumb? Listen, there are things that you and I can pursue, things that you and I can worship that are a cheap imitation of everything that God wants to do in your life. And there are so many people that are pursuing what? That are pursuing money, that are pursuing a career, that are pursuing all of these different things. And Paul's looking and he's saying, listen, Corinthian church, he's saying, before you guys gave your lives to Christ, you were worshiping idols and you were worshiping this idol and the God of this and the God of that and all those things. And he's like, all those things were dumb. Man, all those things you're pursuing, all those things that are cheap imitations 
of what God can bring into your life. And other religions, materialism, pursuits, all those things pass away. The Bible says what? The Bible says that this world is what? It's passing away. And the things of it. But he who does the will of God lives forever. Man, it is hard because we live in this world and this world can sometimes be so appealing. We can look at things and a lot of times God will start to bless you and what happens? God starts to bless and all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is nice. You know, well, maybe if I just can get a little more, if I can just work a little bit more overtime, if I could just do this side venture or invest in this cryptocurrency before, you know, it, I'll have enough income that I can have my own house and I can have my own car and I can have two cars and I can have this, that and the other. And we start pursuing all of these other things. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having money. But the Bible says what the Bible says, the problem is the love of money. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And many times we can be pursuing all of these things and yet they are cheap imitations of what God and a relationship with God can bring into our lives. And life can never be fulfilling without Christ. And then he goes on to say here in verse 3, he said, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, what's he talking about here? Um, In that culture, they had, you had the Jewish synagogues, which the Jewish religion didn't fully embrace Christ. So what would happen is, and this could mean a couple things. This could mean that if someone wanted to go and worship in the Jewish temple, that they would make them renounce Christ. They would make them say, well, Christ is a curse because they looked at Jesus and they didn't accept him as the Messiah. They rejected him. They, they taught that he was a heretic. So it could be that Paul is referring to that. It could be that that was something common that was being said every Sunday at the Jewish synagogue. The, the Jewish priest would get up and he would say that Jesus was a curse. And so Paul's just making them aware. He's like, look, he's like, if you go into a church that says Jesus is a curse, <laughs> leave. The same door that led you in can lead you out. And then he goes on in verse 4, and what does he say? It says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. He says, there's differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. So he talks about diversities of gifts. And it's interesting because there are a lot of diversity when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the things that's interesting, because there's a lot of talk today about diversity, right? Everything's about diversity. There's whole uh, companies that are focused on trying to create a more diverse workforce. But when you look at it, the most diverse place in the world is what? Is the church. Man, different backgrounds, different people. Just looking around in this room, some of us may have common backstories, some of us may not. Man, in the world, we would probably never cross paths, but yet we're all here on a Sunday morning. And you look at it, and the world is trying to do away with the church. See, what we need is not less church in our culture. We need more church in our culture. Man, we need more church in our culture. Because church is the one place where all of those things don't matter. All that matters is like what Paul said, we are one in Christ, that body of believers, that body of Christ. And spiritual gifts are diverse. There's 20 different gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12 here, he lists 
13 different gifts. He lists the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. He lists the gift of faith, the gift of healings, the gift of miracles, the gift of prophecy, the discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues. He lists apostles and teachers. Those are more what we call like the office gifts. Um, not the office to show, but the office gifts. He talks about the gift of helps, the gifts of administration. In Romans 12, he lists five more gifts that aren't found here. He lists the gift of ministry or the gift of serving. He lists the gift of exhortation, the gift of giving, the gift of leadership, the gift of mercy. In Ephesians 4, he lists two more gifts, the gift of evangelism and the gift of, of, of pastor-teacher. And you see that there's different gifts, 20 different gifts. Think about that. That's phenomenal. But not only are there different gifts, what does he say there? In verse, in verse 5, he says, there's differences of ministries. Man, there are different ministries in the church. There's some churches you go to, and there's more ministries than there are people. <laughs> some churches you go to, and there's a lot of ministries, and that's great. There's different ministries. Listen, there are different ways to serve. There are different ways to serve. And then verse 6, notice what it says. It says, and there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. There are diversities of activities. What's that mean? It means there are different ways to be active for the Lord. There are different ways to be active. Serving in ministry doesn't look the same for everybody. I remember when I first got saved, I used to think that like it was almost like a ladder. Like you would start out at the bottom as like an usher or, you know, children's ministry or whatever. And then you would climb up the ladder and then you would be, you know, a pastor. And then, you know, everyone was on the ladder. I used to think it was like some kind of like, like, I don't know, like kind of like a job. You know, you start entry level and then you work your way up. And I remember the Lord started to show me, like, no, like, different people have different gifts. There's different activities. Now, serving in ministry looks different for everybody. There's some people that, you know, serve in, in children's ministry, and that is their life. That is their calling. Like, God has called them to it. He has gifted them for it. And they spend their whole life serving in children's ministry. And it was crazy. Our old church, I remember when I, was, I went there as a kid. And there was teachers that I saw in the three and four-year-old classrooms that taught me. And then when I got saved again, when I graduated high school, I went back there and those same teachers were still there, still serving the Lord. And you think about there's different ministries. Not everybody is called to be a pastor. Not everyone is called to be an evangelist. Not everyone is called to even serve in church ministry, like on a Sunday morning. Not everyone is called to do that. There's different ways to serve one of my favorite ministries that I love is you see certain people that God has given a gift and a burden for intercessory prayer. There was this group of women that used to meet after our Thursday morning Bible study at our church. They used to meet in the mother's room and they used to pray. And there was a group of probably about like anywhere from five to ten women, it would depend. They were all between 60 and 80, the most sweetest people you would ever meet in your life. And they would all go and they would gather in that room and they would pray for several hours. And you think there's people that God has given the burden to pray. And there's people that are praying for us now. There's people that are praying for you now. There's people that are praying for me now. 
There's people that God has burdened them with that ministry. There's people that leave and what they go home and they spend hours locked up in their room praying for the needs that God has put on their heart. Listen, there are different ways to serve and to be active. What is the message here? What's he trying to say? He's talking about different gifts. He's talking about different ministries. He's talking about different activities. What's the message he's trying to say? There's different ways to serve, different ways to be active, different gifts. The message is simple. The message is what? The message is to do something. And the message is to do something. The message is to do something. God has presented us with so many opportunities to contribute to the body of Christ. Man, 20 gifts, I guarantee you, no one in here can say that you do not have at least one of those 20 gifts. And if you do, we can argue about it after. I will, I will debate you on that one for sure. <laughs> for sure. Right? But everyone has at least one gift. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If you have gifts, what? Use them for the Lord. The message of this chapter, listen, it's not if God wants you to contribute, it's how. It's how does God want to use your life. Wherever he's placed you, because like I said, ministry is not always just in this building. It's not like, well, I serve at church. No, ministry, there's an old saying, ministry is 24-7. It's wherever God has placed you. Man, there's some people that have never served on a Sunday morning in church, but they are the most active evangelists for the Lord at their work and at their job and bringing people to churches. (laughs) Exactly. And there are different people that have different activities, different gifts, different ministries. The question is not if God wants you to contribute. The question is how. And all good things start with what? They start with prayer. Saying, God, here I am. Use me. God, I'm available. Whatever you want to do in my life. And what does God begin to do? Sometimes God says, okay, you want to be used. That's phenomenal. But first, let's go ahead and let's do some molding and shaping here. Man, there's this character area that I just want to work on. The story of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, what happened? He said, God, here I am, use me. What did God do? The seraphim came and took the coals and he put the coal on his mouth. And he said, what? He said, your lips are now cleansed. Because Isaiah realized, he said, what? He said, man, he said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. I got some issues like all of us do. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then there was that cleansing of the Lord. And then what happened? Then the Lord said, who's going to go? And Isaiah's like, I'm, I'm, I'm your guy, Lord. I'm ready. Man, all good things start with prayer, sanctification, letting the Lord work in your heart and in your mind and in your life and molding and shaping. And then what happens then is you're just available and you're saying, okay, God, I'm here. What does he do? He says, okay, now is the time. I'm going to open this door for you to be used here. I'm going to open this door for you to be used there. And before you know it, you start discovering your spiritual gifts. And there's so many people that never ex- discover their spiritual gifts. Why? Because they never take a step of faith to do something for God. You're not going to discover your gifts sitting on the sidelines wondering if God can use your life. 
You're going to discover your gifts by being on your knees in prayer and saying, God, here I am, whatever you want to do in your life. It starts with that. It starts with me, and I'm available. And then as you obey, God begins to work. And I love it so much because he says what? He says there's differences in ministries, differences of activities. And then verse 7, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Notice what he says. Follow along. It says what? It says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. What are spiritual gifts? Man, spiritual gifts, they are the manifestation of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are the Spirit working in a way in yours and my life that we can see and that we can experience. Man, it's seeing the Spirit work in your life. It's the Spirit working in a way that we can see and experience. Listen, we don't always see God working in every single situation. We don't see God working in our lives in every single way. But what do we see? Man, spiritual gifts, they are a manifestation of the Spirit. It's seeing God work in through your life through the gifts and the abilities that He's given you. And what are they for? What is their purpose? Man, their purpose is the profit of all, like what the Bible says, the edification of the body. Man, to build up others. And sometimes those gifts, they edify you as well. Man, that is the purpose of spiritual gifts. The purpose of spiritual gifts is so that God can work through your life. That God could use you, that you could have a place in the body of Christ, that you can be used to do, quote-unquote, ministry wherever God has placed you. Man, how much of a part of spiritual gifts play in your life? That's a good question to ask each and every one of us. And I love it about God because God doesn't just give us an opportunity to contribute. He gives us the ability to contribute. Man, he doesn't just give us an opportunity and an open door. He gives us every gift and ability and spiritual gift that we need to contribute. And he gives us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. And then he goes on now and he starts to talk about the gifts. In verse 8, what does he say? He says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So he talks about the word of wisdom and he talks about the word of knowledge. Now the word of wisdom is a spiritual gift. It's when God gives you a specific word of wisdom for somebody. Right now maybe you've been going through a situation and you're like, Lord, how do I navigate this situation? What do I do? Right? And someone will, maybe you go for counseling. It's like a specific word of wisdom. Specific. It's like wisdom, like what God needed you to know for your situation. A good example of it is when Joseph was in the Bible, right? And he went before Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, hey, Joseph, I'm having some nightmares, some nightmare issues. I heard that you can interpret dreams. Can you tell me what, what my dream was and what it meant? And Joseph said, okay, uh, you know, this is what your, your dream, okay. And then what did Joseph say? He said, well, he said, what your dream means is your dream means that there's going to be seven years of famine and there's going to be seven years of plenty before those seven years of famine. And he said, so Mr. Pharaoh, he said, what you need to do is he said, you need to go and you need to, during those seven years of plenty, you need to put one man in charge and you need to have him collect 
a small portion of everybody's grain. And what will happen is, is during those seven years of famine, you'll have enough grain so the nation won't starve. What was that? It was a word of wisdom. God gave Joseph a specific word of wisdom for how to navigate that situation. Now, the word of wisdom is a powerful gift. The word of knowledge, what is the word of knowledge? Now, you ever, in a message sometimes or in a Bible study, and you feel like God, you feel like someone told uh, the, the person who's teaching your situation, you feel like, man, what, what, how do they know that? It's funny, we used to always get phone calls of people that would say, hey, you know, uh, did, did my wife call and, and talk to you? I've had that happen before. I've given messages and had someone come up after and be like, hey, man, like, I, did, my, 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 my wife talked to you, huh, and told you my situation. Word of knowledge. It's knowledge that God gives but notice what he continues to go on where he talks about the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. And then what? He says to another, the gift of faith in verse nine. What is the gift of faith? The gift of faith is where God gives you. And listen, it's a little bit different than just general faith. Like we all have faith in different things. We're all called to live lives where we are to believe God and take God at his word. But the gift of faith you ever met someone who, despite no matter how bad the situation looks, they're just sold that God is just going to come through? It's funny. Me and my wife always joke around. So when we got married, uh, it, it was we set our schedule for March. We were going to get married in March, March 14th. And the weather at the time was looking good, but we were monitoring it. Literally the week before, this massive storm came out of the blue through Southern California. And we were looking at it like, okay, this is not going to be good. Like, maybe it'll clear up. And we're looking at the forecast, and literally, like, it was everyday rain from Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, straight rain. Like, not like 40% showers. It was like 80 to 90% rain. Like, I'm looking at the time our wedding is supposed to start, and it's like 95% rain on the forecast and I'm like I'm like Lord okay what are we gonna do you know it's outdoor wedding like you know what what do you want to do God we're maxed out at budget you know it's kind of a lot to rent a tent and I remember my wife came to me and she's like you know what she's like the Lord showed me that it's not gonna rain and I'm like okay Jess like that's nice sweetie like that's nice <laughs> you know like like I, I'm very encouraging baby but you know what like we gotta also be practical you know we gotta be we gotta be wise and she's like, no, she's like, the Lord showed me. She's like, I know. She's like, I don't understand how I know. And, she, and we joke because sometimes she doubts. Like when she doubts, uh, the Lord will give me like a little bit of belief. And when I doubt, the Lord will give her a little bit of belief. There was no doubting in her. Like you would have thought for sure. Like, I mean, she was convinced. And I'm like, okay. So we ended up getting the tent anyway. Because um, I, I, I thought I was like, no, we need the tent. I, I can't risk it. Because the venue told us they were going to shut down their wedding if it, if it rained. I kid you not, the night before we go out to Temecula, we did the walkthrough at the venue. It looked like it was out of a horror movie. It was foggy. It was dark. It was rainy. It was wet. It was muddy everywhere. The next morning we wake up and it's sunny. And it didn't rain throughout the whole ceremony. We were able to have it outdoors under this beautiful canopy. It didn't rain through the entire reception except towards the very end when it was a light sprinkle. 
And my wife, God gave her the gift of faith for that moment to believe that it wasn't going to rain. When everyone was telling her, no, 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 you're crazy. The gift of faith. And sometimes God gives us that special gift where you just know, like, I just know that God is going to provide. I don't know how I know, I just know. It's that special gift of faith that God gives at times. There's the gift of faith, and then he talks about what? In verse 9, he says, to another faith by the same spirit. And then he says, and to another, the gifts of healings by the same spirit. Now he talks about the gifts of healings. And it's important to know when we start talking about healings, listen, it's a gift, not a position. There are no healers. There are no, well, there are doctors, (laughs) but there are no healers. There's some people that have a whole ministry that is built on healing they'll have healing services and it's a whole thing and healing can take place naturally at times it can paul the apostle had a chronic condition so much so that luke who was his physician would go with him in the book of acts starting we don't really know exactly when we believe it's around chapter i think it's 17 or 18 but luke joined the mission and went with Paul wherever he went to treat him because Paul had this issue with his eyes. We don't know all the details of it. Some people think that it was an issue with his eyes. Some people think that when he, got, when he had gotten stoned and when he had gotten thrown out of the, one of the cities that he had some, a near-death experience. And when he came back, he had some really bad physical issues that he was dealing with. We don't know. But Paul had chronic issues. He had a chronic condition that he had to be treated with a doctor, and that's okay. Man, so I've, I've heard a story of one pastor who, you know, was having some issues and thought it was his appendix and prayed and asked the Lord to heal him. And when the Lord didn't heal him, he went and he got his appendix taken out by surgery. There's just sometimes where you can't pinpoint and say God heals every time or God doesn't heal every time. Healing can take place naturally, but listen, it's very important to understand is that supernatural healing does happen and we should never shy away from asking God to heal. We should never do that. We should never shy away from asking God to heal. James chapter 5 verse 14 and 15 says this. It says, is anyone sick among you? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil In the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Man, the prayer of faith. We've been in a service one time, and I I remember we, we used to have this Friday night Bible study that I served in for almost close to seven to eight years. And I remember after one service, we were done with the service and we were praying out as a group. And I remember one of the guys said, I asked if there was any prayer requests. It wasn't like I was like getting ready to, okay, we're going to do a healing service right now. I just said, hey, anybody have any prayer requests, you know, before we leave? And one of the guys who's a good friend of mine, he's like, yeah, you know what? He's like, I've been having some pain in my back. He's like, and it's pretty bad. He's like, I I can't work right now. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, let's pray for you. You know, so we all laid hands. That's how one of the things that we do, we all lay hands. So that way, if, if the person is healed, it's not, well, so-and-so healed me. No, 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 it's, it's the Lord that healed you. <laughs> so we all laid hands on him, a group of us, we prayed. And after we got done praying, I didn't pick it up, but he was just kind of like got quiet. 
And the next week when we saw him, he's like, hey, he's like, I just want you guys to know, he's like, when we prayed last week, he was like, the Lord, he's like, I don't know why, he's like, but I haven't had pain in my back since. I had one guy happen, and it's happened a couple times. Um, I remember one service, we got done teaching a Bible study, and sometimes what we would do is we would do like an altar call where we'd be, hey, if you want to give your life to Christ, or if you're struggling with something and you need prayer, like, come up to the front. And so I remember we got done with the Bible study, and I had taught that night, and I did a little altar call, and I just felt the Lord putting on my heart the story of a man with a withered hand. And I remember I was like, you know what, I just feel like the Lord's putting on my heart this story of a man with a withered hand. And I felt that the Lord was showing me that there was someone there who was struggling with letting something go, and they couldn't on their own strength. And that's the story of the man with the withered hand. The man with the withered hand, God called him to stretch out his hand, something he couldn't physically do. He didn't have the power to do. And I just felt the Lord putting it on my heart, and I just shared with the body. I said, look, I said, if there's some things that God is calling you to let go of, and you, can't, you feel like you just can't do it, you can't let it go, and I shared the story of the man with the withered hand, and I said, why don't you come up? I go, and we'll pray for you. And we'll ask the Lord to touch your life. And I thought, I was thinking like maybe someone was struggling with bitterness or maybe someone was struggling with drugs or whatever. And I remember I had a, a young, not a young man, he was an older man, but he was a, a little man come up to me after and he's like, hey, he's like, I just want you to know. He's like, what's your name? I was like, Stephen. He's like, nice to meet you. He's like, I just want you to know. He's like, I've had an issue with my arm for almost, I forgot how many years he said. He said, I haven't been able to move it. He goes, and when you told that story tonight, he goes, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me. He goes, and I, I don't know what happened. He goes, but I was able to move it, and I was able to stretch out my hand. God works in supernatural ways. God heals supernaturally, and we should never shy away from asking God to heal. And all throughout the Bible, you see those things. There are testimonies, there are stories of people that God has healed of things. Healed of chronic illnesses supernaturally. But this is the most important thing is we should always never shy away from asking God to supernaturally heal. But listen, we should always be willing to accept whatever God's will is. And there are some times like in the book of Job where God will allow physical situations to come into our lives. Or like Paul where he said, God, remove this from me, remove this from me. And God didn't. Why? Paul said it was to keep me dependent and humble in the Lord. The gift of healings, the gift of what? To another, verse 10, the working of miracles. And miracles, one of the, the quotes that I wrote down, it's a quote by a man named Donald G. And he writes on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, he says, We don't expect the miraculous sufficiently, and we don't see enough of the miraculous in the ordinary. Man, there's little miracles that God does every day. Not all miracles are these big, huge, crazy things. But miracles are what? They're impossibilities. That person that you're praying for. Man, that thing that you're asking God to do or to change. All of those things, listen, they are impossibilities. And what does God do? God does miracles. And I think miracles, the most important thing is this, is what is your expectation from the Lord? And a good way to know that is to look at your prayer life. Are your prayers, God, you know, I mean, if you, if you can, or are your prayers, God, I believe you're able, and if it's your will, I pray that you would do it. What does the Bible say? According to your faith, let it be so. Now, faith is so important. 
so important. It's not just, well, I know God can do it. It's, God, I believe that you're able, and I believe that if you want to, you will, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek that you would do this thing. And if not, I accept whatever your will is. But God, I pray with expectation. And the danger of these gifts are this. The danger of these gifts is that people can get caught up in signs and wonders and chase them. And I think that's why a lot of times churches will shy away from them. It's kind of like, well, you know, you know, I mean, God doesn't, you know, God may not heal. Like, just so you know, brother, like before we pray and ask God for healing, I got to give you a disclaimer. Like, God may not heal you. Like, you know, have you guys ever, you guys ever experienced that or just me? (laughs) You know, sometimes we can kind of put those things down because we're like, oh, we don't want people to wild out on it. And there is a danger there because people can get caught up in the signs and wonders. People can chase signs and wonders. I had a friend one time who traveled all the way to Texas for a healing service. And people get into all that stuff. Why? Because they begin to chase miracles instead of chasing the Lord. It becomes all about the signs. It becomes all about the miracles. But when you look at the New Testament, you see a pattern that with every miracle there was what? There was the presentation of the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, you see that Peter and John, they went. And it's funny, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, you know what didn't take place? There was a speaking in tongues. The Bible says there was tongues of fire, right? There was the preaching of the gospel. Peter gave a message. 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ on the spot. But you know what you don't see in Acts chapter 2? You don't see not one single miracle. Think about that. The first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there was not one single miracle. There was not one single healing. But in Acts chapter 3, what happens? Peter and John are going to the temple. They walk into the temple. They see the lame man, and Peter says, Hey, I don't have any money, but what I do have, I have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're going to heal you. Let's go. They raise up the lame man, and the Bible says what? The Bible says that everyone came and was like, oh my gosh. And what did Peter and John do? They said, don't look at us like we made this happen on our own strength. They said, we're not, what were they saying? In paraphrasing, they were saying, we're not healers. They were saying it was Jesus. What did they do? They preached a message, 5,000 gave their lives to the Lord. Now, those things were often used, miracles and healings in the New Testament were often used to confirm that message of Christ. They were often used to confirm that message of Christ. Paul and Barnabas were in this city called Lystra, and they went through and they ended up healing someone. And what happened? The local priest was thinking, bringing an oxen and getting ready to sacrifice an oxen to to Paul and Barnabas. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? The Bible says they tore their clothes and they said, don't sacrifice to us. It's not us, it's Jesus. But yet you look at so many of the healing and the faith ministries today and what do you see? You see in big letters, you see the name of the person and you see what? You see the focus is on miracles and their ability to heal. There's so much danger in those things. And I think it's important. Why? Because nowadays healers promote themselves. But listen, miracles were never meant to replace the preaching of the gospel and a relationship with Christ. Miracles were never meant to replace the preaching of the gospel. 
and they were never meant to replace a relationship with Christ. I think it's important to understand is that miracles and seeing God work and seeing God heal and seeing all these powerful testimonies, they should do one thing. They should draw us into a greater reverence of the power of Christ, a greater desire to see God work. But they should never take our focus off the one who is doing the miracles. And they should never pull our focus away from the Savior, from Christ. And then in closing, notice what he says. He says, to another prophecy, which is speaking forth the word of God. He says, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. He talks about all those other spiritual gifts that there are in verse 10. Then he says in verse 11, but one in the same spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. What's he talking about? He's talking about how the Holy Spirit is the one who gives to each person gifts according to what his purpose is for their lives. Next week, we'll finish up that chapter and really talk about finding your place in the body of Christ. And what does God want to do in your life? How does your place fit in in the body of Christ? It's interesting because he says later on in that chapter, he says what? He says that God has set you in the body where he has placed you and how do you find your fit and how do you contribute we're going to cover all that next week let's go ahead and